0: Hey, hey everyone, my name is Agnes Chen and this is a Rise Resilient podcast where we gather and connect so that all can rise resilient. I'm super excited to chat with Dr. Gerald Giesbrecht, who is a registered clinical psychologist in the province of Alberta and an associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Community Health Sciences at the University of Calgary. His research program focuses on the psychobiology of stress and especially on the effects of stress during pregnancy on child development. He's currently examining how exposure to stress during pregnancy and in early life may change children's physiology, which in turn disrupts healthy emotional and cognitive development. He is also examining resilience factors like nutrition and social supports, which may prevent stress from disrupting children's development. We know that experiences of toxic stress from adverse childhood experiences can change child development in less than ideal ways. So today with Jerry, I chat about how stress can impact a developing baby and how we as a community can disrupt this transmission of stress to baby. As Jerry reminds us, nothing about these experiences of trauma and adversity is inevitable. As we chat and as you listen, I hope it inspires all of us to think about our role in raising the kids of our community. We are all a part of the village that is raising the children of our community after all. I guess to start, so I know you are the co-lead on the pregnancy during the pandemic study, which is happening now, I believe.
1: Yeah, um, that's correct
0: but your your field of study really is the psychobiology of stress and how stress yep. impacts the mother and the developing child. So can you break down really what the heart of your research is?
1: Sure. So the sort of premise I start with is that experience changes our biology. So how does this happen? So that's kind of the first line of questioning that we are undertaking in the lab. So there's a ton of work that is showing us that experiences of stress change child development in particular ways, and typically these are not ways that we would want child development to be changed. So for example, more behavior problems, less resilience, um, lower intellectual ability, and so on. So stress is able to have these effects, but how does it do that? So when we start with a psychological experience, something has to transform that psychological experience into a signal that then gets um, transmitted to these developmental outcomes. So most of my work has taken place in the context of pregnancy. So a pregnant mom is having an experience of stress, and what happens, how does the fetus pick up on that signal of stress? So that's kind of the first set of questions that we want to try to understand, because if we can understand the mechanisms by which stress is transmitting its signal to the fetus, then we may be able to understand how to interrupt those mechanisms. So that's kind of the first line. And then the second line is more around the question of, well, why is it the case that some people who are exposed to really difficult experiences nevertheless have uh, outcomes that we would say are just fine? They're, they're doing well. They're, they're what we might call resilient. So, they don't show these negative effects of stress. And we see that in babies as well. So, you know, mom had a very difficult experience during pregnancy. She became depressed and anxious because of those difficult experiences. Uh, You know, we can surmise from that that there are a whole cascade of hormones and other biological signals that get passed on to the fetus. The fetus then uses that information to adjust its own development in an effort to become as successful as possible into this new environment that it's going to be born into. Um, and many times, or sometimes, perhaps would be the better way to say it, these um, adjustments end up sort of costing the child. Their, they, they end up having sort of negative effects. But this isn't always the case. And that's intriguing because what it means is that nothing about these experiences of trauma or adversity is inevitable in terms of the development of the child. So something can intervene. And what are those things? So that's what my lab has really been focused on trying to understand more about is can we get a handle on what those pieces are? And um, we've we've kind of been pursuing three main lines of, of work here. One is on supportive social relationships because we've got decades of research that would suggest that social relationships have the ability to transform stressful experiences into positive developmental outcomes. Secondly, nutrition. This is kind of an emerging area. We've known forever that nutrition is super important for child development. But what we're interested in in my lab is how nutrition might be able to interrupt the effects of stress. So. Okay, so how do those nutrients actually change the stress response systems so that the negative effects of stress don't get transmitted? And specifically the negative effects of mom's own experiences being transmitted to the baby. And then the third area that we're looking into now is the microbiome. And we're kind of thinking about the, the microbiome is is uh, the All the little bacteria and viruses and fungi and all that stuff that live in and on our bodies that help us, uh, you know, especially the, the bacteria that live in our guts, help us break down foods into nutrients that we can use, produce many hormones that are useful. So these bacteria are extremely useful. Sometimes they go they go wrong, <laughs> you know, when mm-hmm. when we get like an E. coli infection or something like that, where the E. coli take over, um, and then we become quite ill. But in most most of the time, these bacteria are actually helping us. And what we want to try to understand is um, whether we could use, you know, increasing certain kinds of bacteria as a resilience resource. Um, psychological resilience resource. And that that might seem kind of far-fetched and indeed it is a new area of research, but there's enough evidence now to show that the kinds of bacteria that we have in our gut affects the way that we feel, affects the way that our brains are working uh, and less studies in kids. So we don't really know what's going on there. But we think uh, that probably the gut bacteria have the ability to make these kinds of developmental shifts that that we're talking about.
0: So when you talk about stress, you Mm -hmm. know, maternal stress on the child, so obviously, there's different elements of stress, stress can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, But obviously, too much stress can create changes. So Can you kind of give us sort of a a description of that?
1: Yeah. So this is a fantastic question. And in fact, it is one that stress researchers worry about a lot and disagree about a lot. But it is useful to make a couple of distinctions. So stress, we can think about as psychobiological response to some event or some experience. So it involves you know, thinking, emotion, a thought process, um, perception of a stressor and so on, evaluation of my own coping abilities. It in, it, it involves uh, a bodily response as in sort of the fight or flight response or a cortisol response. So all of these sort of physiological components designed to help us meet whatever challenge is in front of us. So stress is sort of this general physiological and psychological response to, you know, many, many different kinds of experiences, including positive ones. Um, When we talk about stress, we usually mean it in a negative sense, and there's this sort of gradation of positive stress that you mentioned, things like, you know, getting married or something like that. It's not necessarily, I mean, or can, can be a bit of a stressful event, but you know, it's happy having a baby, those kinds of things, getting a new job. All of these things can be sort of stressful, but they're, they're quite, we, we see them as very positive things in our lives. Then there's the kinds of stressors that um, that's, that's tolerable, but they're challenging and they require some support. From others. And we can sort of we get through these things when we have the right kinds of support. And then there's the kinds of toxic stressors that basically are harmful to the majority of people who experience them, regardless of the kinds of supports they are, just because they're such noxious kinds of experiences. So I just, I'm, I'm realizing that even in my explanation, I kind of slipped between the word stress and stressor. So I think it's useful just to highlight this for a second. So mm. a stressor is something that we experience. So it's a, a challenge, a, a difficult kind of um, uh, event that uh, is, is, is challenging or difficult for us to adapt to. So that's what we think about as a stressor and people experience stress when they run into stressors. So in other words, they have to make these psychological and physiological adaptations when they run across these stressors. So one more term that I wanna throw in here that I think is actually quite useful is the term distress. So most of the times when people are using the term stress, they actually mean distress. What they, what what distress really refers to is the psychological and physiological response that we have to negative life events. So that, at least the ones that we aren't coping with very well. So when we feel stressed, we might feel anxious. We might feel depressed. And, you know, as a consequence of trying to deal with this difficult thing that's in our lives. Those feelings of anxiety and depression are really what we mean by psychological distress. So they're kind of the outcome, the upshot or the result of our difficulty in trying to meet the challenge of the stressor.
0: Even hearing you explain it in that sense, it's picked back up on what you talked about initially, where, you know, not everything is going to be... In quotation mark stressful based yeah. on the experiences and sort of those resiliency factors we have so i think that's super helpful you know on that note when we talk about resiliency then mm-hmm. what in your context is considered you know resilience or what are yeah. resiliency factors that could potentially disrupt the transmission of this stress response to the baby Or, I guess, alternatively, you know, disrupt the process when the baby is out in the real world and experiencing Mm -hmm. life.
1: Yeah. Maybe I'll just talk a little bit about the concept of resilience. And then I want to get into talking about social support as a resilience factor, because I think that's where our research has been really powerful in showing how relationships can transform stress. So... Resilience is is kind of this idea that you either bounce back quickly or you never really get knocked down by something that's really difficult. So let me just try to unpack that a tiny little bit. So typically when uh, we meet a really difficult challenge, we are going to have this stress response. That's gonna include psychological components and it's going to include physiological components. So we can measure those things in people by, you know, asking them how anxious they are, how depressed they are, um, looking at, you know, certain kinds of physiological parameters like heart rate variability or uh, cortisol. So All of these things can give us sort of a clue about how much this person is responding to the stress that they're experiencing. So, you know, we think about we're we're kind of in the midst of this second wave of COVID now. And, you know, how are people responding to the social restrictions that have been imposed by governments to try to deal with this coronavirus, like staying at home? and working from home and not um, socializing uh, or freely socializing in the groups uh, that that we typically would have been engaged with so you know we can we can actually measure on a physiological level and and we are in in this um, study that you mentioned at the beginning Mm -hmm. how these experiences might be changing the physiology of stress so like the cortisol systems, as one example, and how they might be changing our psychological experience. So, people who are resilient tend to either have really small changes in these physiological and psychological parameters when they experience a difficulty, or they have, you know, changes that we would consider to be, well, yeah, it's a difficult circumstance. So, yes, you are going to feel somewhat anxious. You are going to feel somewhat depressed. Your cortisol is going to be higher, but this is like appropriate for this difficult circumstance. And then it quickly sort of returns to a baseline level and settles down. People who are more stress susceptible are people who are going to have really large psychological and physiological responses to a circumstance or and probably also and, not just or, but probably and, they're going to have a prolonged uh, response to these circumstances. So that's kind of what we mean by resilience. Right now, one of the things that we're doing during the pandemic study is we're trying to understand if the gut microbiota might be a resilience resource. And what I mean by that is that... um, some individuals with certain composition of gut microbiota may be able to handle more um, difficult circumstances because they've got the kinds of resources their, their, their gut is capable of producing the resources that they need to uh, meet the challenges that they're facing. So that you know, but that, that's kind of, you know, the very cutting edge where we're at and, mm-hmm. it, you know, ideas that we're trying to study right now. And certainly we don't have any conclusions to make about that at the moment.
0: But yeah, super. I just keep thinking I'm Eastern European. So the amount of sauerkraut we eat and I keep thinking, how did that play a role in, <laughs> in some of our resilience? But yeah. so sorry, I know you were, you were continuing on about um, resilience and how we can, um, and the, the social supports and, and the, mm-hmm. the research that's shown how that has um, helped children who have been in stressful environments.
1: Yeah. So in a series of studies in my lab, What we've tried to understand is this idea of the intergenerational transmission of stress. So we know that when moms have difficult experiences during pregnancy, these difficult experiences in some way get passed on to their babies. And and we talked about that a little bit earlier. But it goes back further than that. So... The difficult experiences that mom had when she was a child also get represented in the um, sort of this intergenerational transmission that the that the fetus experiences. The first question that we're asking is, well, like, how how can this happen? The the observation that others have made over you know a number of years is that when moms have these early life experiences of adversity in their own childhood, they those experiences or the, the more problematic outcomes tend to show up not only in them when they're growing up, but also in their children. And, you know, some of the ideas that have been pursued to explain this are things like social learning. So the, the moms during their own childhood experience a difficult circumstance. They, in some ways, learn how to parent from the difficult circumstances that they're in. And in many cases, they're going to pick up parenting styles or habits or attitudes that are perhaps not helpful. And then they replicate those within their own families when they become parents. And so it's it's essentially a modeling approach. And we know with some degree of confidence that this is indeed one of the mechanisms we see this intergenerational transmission of stress. But we were more interested in the biological component. Could there be some biological signals that sort of start in the early life of, of the mom that then get passed to the fetus and become sort of incorporated into their own development? So the the place that we looked was the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is one of the main stress response systems in mammals. And the primary product of that system is cortisol. So, you know, everybody kind of knows cortisol as the so-called stress hormone. These adverse experiences might be changing the function of this stress response system in pregnant moms. And Indeed, what we saw was that there was a change. So these adverse childhood experiences would then change the stress response systems. And then those changes in the stress response systems in the mom can get passed on to the baby. And one of the ways that they do this is by changing the setup of the baby's own stress response systems. So we had actually shown that in previous studies, but really just focused on experiences of stress that mom has during her pregnancy. These get passed on to the baby and they also change the mom's stress response systems. And then it shows up in the baby's stress response systems. But now what we were seeing is, well, this actually goes all the way back to mom's childhood. And these experiences of early life adversity can also get transmitted to the baby through these same systems. So that was, you know, um, intellectually satisfying because now we sort of understand one of the mechanisms, but it's a, it's not a great news story. And we immediately wanted to try to understand what, what can we do about this? Mm -hmm. And the big thing that we thought about was social relationships. The good news part, this is the part that gets me really jazzed up. So we've known for a very long time that positive social relationships have the ability to transform stress in in a couple of ways. One is they provide material resources, psychological, emotional resources to be able to cope with the stressful situation, which means that the situation is less, in some ways, is less stressful for the individual to deal with. The other thing is that it buffers the effects of stress on the biological system. So this seems to be a corollary from the first point, which is that if something feels less stressful to you because there's somebody with you in it helping you, then there's less consequences in terms of the physiological response. So when we started thinking about how that might show up in this mom-baby transmission process, what we wondered about is whether positive social relationships could actually interrupt this intergenerational transmission of stress. And so what we did in in the, the studies that we were doing, these were all heterosexual couples. And so we were asking the moms about the kinds of support they received from their partners and whether it was the right kind of support for them and did they feel good about the support that they received and was it the right amount and that sort of thing. And what we discovered was that when moms sort of indicated that, their, that the support they received from their partner was good enough or better, then we just didn't see these increases in maternal cortisol as a function of the early life adversity. So in other words, the supportive partner was able to kind of block the effects of that early life adversity on the physiological systems in the mom during pregnancy. And then when we looked to see, okay, so how what does that look like for the baby then? We saw a further effect for the baby as well. So not only was this supportive relationship blocking the effect for the mom's own sort of biological response, but also to the baby. And this also gets extended to behavior. So to me, this is really exciting because what it means is that close, important relationships that we have erase the biological effects. So they probably can't erase all of the effects but in terms of the specific biological effects that we were wondering about here we see that these relationships are extremely powerful yeah
0: that's incredible and so what does that mean for us as a community in supporting moms Mm -hmm. you know the the research shows i think it was one in five women experience depression so much of it I imagine is untreated goes undiagnosed Mm -hmm. so knowing all of this how is a community what important steps do we need to take to be able to support moms and ensure that we are you know kids are being raised with this resilience that's needed
1: so that's the most important question to ask here and there are many many levels on which to address that question including economic policy social policies around daycare, you know, finding reliable daycare, which we know is a huge and very important way to reduce um, stress in new moms. So our research really focused on heterosexual couples and the partner relationship. And we know that's a very important relationship in couples who are having babies. But it's not the only important relationship. And from other work that's been done, we can assume that the effects that we're seeing have the potential to be there for other relationships as well. A supportive sister, a supportive friend, or mother, or something. It doesn't necessarily have to be the partner, and not everybody has a supportive partner, but a key supportive relationship, I think is what is required to get the job done. For me as a dad, these data directly show that when dads support their partners and provide the kind of care and support that their partners need and want, not only does mom feel better, but also their babies there's advantages to their babies. I think the first message is really to partners who play a primary role in supporting moms and improving that relationship quality. There's been so many different ways that this research has been done, mostly in the postnatal time period where support from dad of mom is associated with many positive developmental outcomes in kids. And here we see that that starts really in the prenatal period. You don't have to wait till the baby shows up. Supporting the mom and providing a loving, caring context in which she and the baby are living is an important contribution to your baby's development.
0: All right, so naturally, my next question involves social connections during COVID-19. Now, you're currently doing a study about pregnancy during COVID-19. As we know, these social relationships are so important in supporting one's resilience and disrupting any previous adversity. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: COVID has changed the game for us. We certainly need to not give up on the idea of social relationships as a powerful mechanism for transforming stress. Um, But we might have to lean a little bit more on virtual kinds of approaches. If if we in the public took on a basic attitude of caring for each other and being kind to each other, Mm -hmm. just being friendly, to each other and creating a society in which we we just care for each other in and, and don't ignore each other so you know and sometimes honestly it is just taking a, a second to to send a smile and say you have a beautiful baby to just convey a general attitude of support and kindness to others mm-hmm. the the heavy lifting especially during covid is going to fall to those who are living in the household because of the social restrictions that we have right now.
0: Gary, that was, that's amazing. I so appreciate your time and your wisdom and for sharing all of that. I think, and I hope that that knowledge can really just spread throughout our community and that we can start utilizing that knowledge to change, you know, how we support our kids and our moms and our dads. So I'm yeah. going to spread that message and <laughs> in any way I can. Thank you.
1: Thank you for doing that. I, I really appreciate it because we need, uh, we need everybody to get on board with these findings and, be, and because it, it matters to all of us. It, it improves life for all of us when we all do better.